Today on The Girl Defined Show, we are talking about what it means to be a woman. There is a very popular documentary that has been going around called What is a Woman? created by Matt Walsh, and it has caused quite the stir. And I mean, it came out like over a year ago, but it is still like very present and people are really mad or really happy. And now I have watched the entire documentary. And to be honest, I really enjoyed a lot of it. I thought it brought up some incredible points, some great discussion. But at the end, to be honest, when they finished the documentary, had the final closing question and answered the big bum, 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 what is a woman? And then Matt Walsh's wife answered the question and it was the big mic drop moment. Everybody, you know, behind the scenes, we're all going crazy, but honestly, I was kind of left a little bit disappointed as a Christian woman specifically. And we're going to get into why the answer to what is a woman in the documentary, what is a woman, wasn't quite enough. What's up, guys? It's Kristen and Bethany here What's on the up? World Defined Show. And this is a topic near and dear to our hearts because I think the, we spend so much of our ministry, our passion is answering that question. What is a woman? But more specifically, what does it mean to be a woman, yeah. right? Like, what does it mean to be a girl defined by God and not a girl defined by self, by culture, by movements, like to be defined by God? And so this is a topic I'm really excited to jump yeah. into. And it's really interesting that in culture, Everybody seems to be talking about this question right now. So we need to engage in this conversation. We want to just put stuff out on the table. We don't have any notes, but we want to dive in to what's happening in culture, Matt Walsh's documentary, what the Bible actually says about women and what we're getting right, what we're getting wrong, even in the church, cultural movements. And like, what is God's heart for women? Mm -hmm. Like, what do we actually see in scripture? And, you know, as we look in scripture, I even see in my own heart and my own life ways that I got it wrong, ways that I thought I knew, like, this is what it means to be to be a woman and then realizing, you know, I think I was kind of missing the mark in some areas. Okay, so what? what? Okay, well, I, okay, I'll just tell you. You like, can't say that. <laughs> I think for me, so yeah. many times my I like my identity as a woman, my purpose thinking, okay, this is what it means to be a godly woman. I felt like I could only reach that when I would get to the next season of life. So like I remember as a oh, single yeah. woman thinking, once I get married and I'm in that covenant marriage displaying that gospel picture, like that's when I'll really be able to live out my identity as a biblical woman, like as a godly woman in marriage. And then when I got married, I felt like, okay, once I get to that stage of motherhood in that season of life, you know, that will be my identity. That will be my purpose. Mm -hmm. That's when I will really be able to live out my identity as a Proverbs 31 woman. And so I think for me, my identity was oftentimes, and I think this is true for a lot of Christian women, based on my season of life and not an understanding of who God created women to be in and out of every season and how our underlying underlying purpose, um, God's purpose for us as women, it remains the same regardless of the season we're in. Yeah, which is interesting because looking at my own life too, a lot of similar things, but then when you look out, it's the same problem. We all want something to like define us, some action, some surgery, something that will make us a woman and have purpose and identity and value, you know, whether it's um, a man trying to become a woman or a woman trying to become a man, uh, which we know is impossible, um, or whether it's climbing the corporate ladder or, you know, joining some wave of the feminist movement. We have all sorts of angel listeners here. So, you know, it's it's just, it's like doing something, becoming a part of something so that people look at you and say, oh yes, she's got it figured out. But what we're going to talk about today is like, we're going deeper than that. We're going past the yeah. surface. We're going past the actions. We're even going further than like our biology and like Mm -hmm. we're going deeper because there's something so much more important and I think if we can't really get to the like crooks of like what does it mean to be a woman before God and why did he create me like what is all of this then 
I think we're just going to continue to look to movements, to actions, to things, even within the Christian conservative movement, Christian, you know, non-conservative, like yeah. whatever. We're going to look to someone, something to define us, and we want to get past that. Mm-hmm, which is why we wrote our first book, Girl Defined, God's Radical oh. Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity. If you're watching this, you can see a picture of the book. But this was years ago when we wrote this book. Things and culture have changed so much, even since this book yeah. came out. But so much of what in it, what's inside, we're going to actually unpack today in this conversation because it is timeless. It is true. We continue to grow in our understanding of God's design, but understanding his radical design for beauty, femininity, and identity, that is something that we as Christian women, we need to get a grasp on because it does impact our understanding of who God is and who he created us to be. So you can get a copy of Girl Defined on our shop, girldefined.com slash shop. And if you're like, I've already read that, love it, or I haven't read it, it's kind of big. Do you have something more simple? (laughs) Then you are in luck because we have an entire library that we continue to upload digital resources to. And if you're watching, you can see just some of them. They're easy to download PDF guides tackling specific topics. So not just necessarily about womanhood, but like Bible studies, like seven days in the Psalms or how to know if he's the one, if you're a single girl and you're dating or you're interested in getting married someday and you want to know, is he the one? How to discern a guy's true character. I'm just going through a few of our digital resources, five strategies to find freedom from sexual sin. You guys, we have dozens of digital resources all available for instant download on our shop, girldefined.com slash shop. But even better, you can get access to every single digital product simply by joining our support team over on patreon.com slash girl defined. When you join by pledging to to support us with a dollar or $2 per month, like it's not that much per podcast episode that we create, we will give you access to every digital resource that we created, all the ones from the past and every new one that comes out every month moving Mm. forward. So you can continue to grow in your faith and get amazing resources and support a ministry that you want, that you believe in, that you want to see continue on. So check out patreon.com slash girl define or get all of these resources, including the girl define book at girldefine.com slash shop. Okay. So I referenced the uh, documentary. What is a woman by Matt Walsh? And like I said, um, this isn't like a debate or like a put down. We, re- I personally really appreciated the documentary and thought um, it was really well done and thought it brought up a lot of questions, whatever side you stand on. I think it's important to be able to watch these things and ask honest questions. Yeah. So I really appreciated that. But to me, it kept building up, building up and like, look, these, you know, professionals and, you know, scholars, they can't answer the simple question, what is a woman? And then at the very, very end, you know, his wife answers the question, what is a woman? And she says, an adult human female. And it's like, bum, 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 like so simple. Like it's just an adult human female. That is what it means to be, you know, that is what a woman is. And while that's true, true, yeah, yeah, that is true. But I think it's like, okay, if that's what a woman is and that's like, and I know he's not saying that's all that matters, but if that's kind of like the height of the documentary, I think it's like, we need something deeper. We need a bigger reason for our womanhood. Like if, if that's what a woman is, then why does it really matter if you try to change to, you know, like be a man or if a man tries to be a woman, like if it's just biology, if that's Mm -hmm. all it is, um, then I think that's a problem. And so we see though, that God is so much, he created us. It's so much bigger than that. There's such a bigger story to be told as Christians. There's so much more that God has Mm -hmm. to say, um, our biology absolutely matters. Our bodies matter. You know, like Jesus used his body not only to sacrifice his life on the cross for us, but then he resurrected physical body. And, you know, they, they saw the scars on his hand, the nail scars, like touch this, you know, afterward to say that my body, my resurrected body matters. Mm -hmm. And one day we will have resurrected bodies. So bodies matter, but there's more and there's a bigger picture. And sometimes we don't know how 
to tell that bigger picture. We look in scripture and we look in our Bibles and we're like, okay, what what is a woman? Like, is she defined by specific actions? Is she defined by like her roles? Mm -hmm. And while God does have a lot of great things to say about that, that, in my opinion, is not the most important thing about our identity and about who we are as women. And so I think in order to unpack that, we're gonna have to go back to the very (laughs) beginning of time, way back, just to kind of get an understanding. And if you stick with us through this whole podcast, you are gonna feel so equipped, whether you're in college, whether you're hanging out with your mom friends, whether you're, you know, wherever in a singles group, when you start discussing gender, all this cultural conversation that's going on about men, women, all of this, I think you're going to feel very confident to answer that question with an authority, God's word, that is so much more than just your opinion. Yeah. And it'll help you have a bigger understanding of why jumping into some of these movements, like some movements that are very popular right now, the trad wife movement. I know we want to do an entire episode on that. Just talking about, okay, this movement, is it, is it most godly to go back in time and live like the 1950s women or the sexual revolution? Like you be you define who you want to be, who you feel you are. That is your true identity. Like, is that where we're going to find true happiness as women or maybe some ultra conservative Christian movement where you feel like it's a very boxed in version of womanhood. This is what it means to be a woman. That's where I'm going to find true happiness and identity or something else in culture. I mean, there are so many movements we can jump on, but at the end of the day, if that movement isn't rooted in God's word and motivated by the truth of who God is, who he created us to be as women, and we aren't informed about why God created male, female, two genders, why he put them in marriage, why he gave them the act of sexual intimacy, what that ultimately points to what's happening at the end of all time in Revelation when Jesus comes back mm-hmm. and how it all is connected, then you're going to miss it and you're going to get burned out most likely in one of these movements and then still stand, you know, be left wondering like, who am yeah. I? What is my true identity? Why am I not finding fulfillment and happiness? And so we know it can only come from one place. That is the truth of God's word. So like Bethany said, stick with us to the yeah. end. And I think your mind is going to be blown and you're going to be so equipped, so informed and so inspired to know like, yeah. this is who God made me to be. And it is awesome. So I think we should go back in time, back to the very beginning, where it all started in Genesis. And if you have your Bible, like you're probably like running or doing something where you can't pull it out. But if you have your phone, even like scroll over to Genesis one and two, because we would love for you to get a glimpse at some of these passages as we read some, talk about it, dig into different parts of scripture that will help you become more informed and just familiar with where these things are in your Bible. It's important as we turn to scripture, though, to remember that it's not about pulling one verse out or pulling one passage out. Scripture really is one big story that shows us from start really to finish like we're told what's to come we're told where everything started and then we're told what's to come where we're going and where we should want to be one day and ultimately at the end of the day this is a story about Jesus about redemption it's really not a story about like okay where am I in this Mm -hmm. passage it's about where is Jesus in this passage where is God in this passage and so as we look to scripture we have to remember this isn't ultimately about us you know it's about God and it's about one day this incredible relationship this incredible like um, future in the future garden uh, that we get to be in with him this new perfect perfect relationship walking with Jesus walking with God um, just like and back in Genesis 1 so if you look back to the very beginning Genesis 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of waters and then the very first thing that happens and God said let there be light and there was light and then this passage continues on literally unpacking how the world came into existence and God literally taking nothing and creating something, not just Mm -hmm. something, but the most amazing, beautiful, mind-blowing creativity that we can imagine. It goes on and on and on. And at this point, 
There is no human. There are no other humans. There are no people. God is just creating the world, creating the heavens and the earth, creating all of this. And that goes on for several verses all the way until Mm -hmm. we reach Genesis 1, verse 26. And that's where it jumps in to the man the creation of the man. Yep. Not the woman yet, just the man. <laughs> then, So Genesis one twenty six says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God, and God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the see over the birds of the heavens over every living thing that moves on the earth and so we see a picture here and this is what's interesting is genesis 1 gives us like the bird's eye view like the zoomed out version just kind of here's what happened the order that things happened in and then when you go over to genesis 2 it's really cool because it's like god then says okay now you get the bigger picture you see what i've done but let me zoom in to what to a very important part of what I did, which is when I created the man and the woman. You notice he doesn't zoom in and give details about exactly how he made the fish and like the colors he chose for them and the different types of animals. It's like, I see him talking about Nemo in here. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I've never noticed Nemo was in here. He doesn't zoom in on any of those things, but what does he zoom in on? He zooms in on the man and the woman and he gives a starting in... Genesis 2 verse 4 he talks about how like the details of how there was no there was yeah yeah, the story of like God actually creating Adam first and I don't know how much you want to read of that but (laughs) I would like to read all of it (laughs) every single thing but I mean on your own read all of Genesis 2 read Genesis 1 and then notice that transition how God takes that zoom in and then I think we should ask ourselves as Christians like why does God zoom in on this particular story why is this important enough to dedicate an entire chapter to showing us the details of what happened when God created the male and the female. It's so interesting because from the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, God gives us this, you know, this, um, his plan, not only for gender to be a man and a woman, for intimacy between a man and a woman, for marriage, the marriage covenant, also for family. Like you go down to Genesis 2, mm-hmm. 23, um, and no, 2, 24, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. We're already seeing the family structure here, a father and a mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And so we see like, wow, we're already seeing like, it, he, you know, for the future, like the man leaves his father and mother, he goes, he clings to his wife and they are fruitful and they multiply and they create their own family. And you look all of these years later and it's like, that's still how we get more people today. That's still how <laughs> much of the world operates, you know? And so mm-hmm. it's like, wow, that's crazy. It wasn't just a half-hearted idea. Like this stuff that you see out there, like it comes from God's word. Mm. And sometimes we think like we just made this up. Like, you know, people will say like family, marriage. It's a social like, construct. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, when we look at scripture, this this has been around from the it's beginning. It's a God people, construct. Yeah, <laughs> You're very proud of that one. <laughs> you can it's tell what Christian's a proud social of. construct. It's, it's a, a God, God construct. construct. Yeah, but seriously, like that matters mm-hmm. to us. As Christian women, it matters what God's word says. And we are 
passionate about going back and reading Genesis 1 and 2 for yourself. And we reference this all of the time because it's so important. And sometimes we as Christians, we're like, we want the bigger stuff. We want to understand the the better stuff. You know, we want the deeper theology. We want to get beyond this. And we forget like this literally informs us of so much and should make a huge difference in Mm -hmm. our lives and how we live and, and how we view gender, how we view family, how we view marriage. This stuff matters. Yeah. So the man and the woman, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes and we talk about it in our book, Girl Defined, but the idea that God had a blank slate, like he had, you know, all the animals, made all the fish, did all the things. And then now he is, he's about to create humans. And he's saying, I'm going to make a being that is created after my image, after my likeness, something that is a reflection of who I am in many ways, created in the image of God. Like that's very important, very significant. And God could have done whatever he wanted. Like he could have made a, like a human that is just one type. Like there's no gender. It's just everything's like one type. And he could have designed procreation, like the way that we reproduce. Like he could have done that in a different way, but he didn't. And we have to pay attention to these details because in culture today, we're told that these details details don't matter. They're insignificant. The fact that someone's born a man, born a, like born a male, born a female, that doesn't matter. That has no bearing on who they are or what God created them, who God created them to be or how they should live their life, how their biology should impact anything about their thinking, their identity. But when we zoom in and we see that God actually could have created whatever he wanted, but he chose the God of the universe, the creator making humans in the image of God himself. He decided to make a male, mm-hmm. specifically male, fully male in every every way sexually. I mean, these are adult humans, an adult human male and an adult human female that he created in Adam and Eve. And he created Adam first, which is so interesting and something that, you know, we don't really think about when we're like reading Genesis, these details, but he created him first. He made him fully male with his like sexually everything. He's 100% man. And then he gives him roles and responsibilities. He places him in the garden and says, this is your home. This is your place to keep it. Um, So he gives him responsibilities within the garden um, to be a leader and then God gives him jobs. He gives him the task of naming all of the animals. I mean, can you imagine like, oh, here's an elephant. Like I shall call this elephant like in his own language, but he has roles, responsibilities. Then God says, okay, it's not good for man to be alone. And so then what does God do from the man? God then takes a rib and creates the woman and she's not the same as man. Her body is different. Her sexual design is different. Her abilities to literally bear children. That's something Adam could not do. He did not have that ability that capability. God creates a woman. It's his opposite, but it's his compliment. And God says, this woman, she is for you. She shall be your helpmate. You shall work as a team now to to manage this garden that I've given you and be fruitful and multiply. Be sexually um, one in your relationship and through the beauty of your sexual intimacy, you will bring forth new life, which is a wonderful, a beautiful, abundant thing, a gift that God gave to Adam and Eve in that marriage. So from the beginning, we see gender distinctions, bodily differences, intentionality by God to make a male and a female, and those things are very significant. Mm-hmm. And I like to go back to, in Genesis 1, 127, it says, so God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created them male and female he created them we're not just adult human male and female we're created in the image of God every single person in the world whether they acknowledge it or not like we are image bearers of God and that is something so like mind-blowing like we get to be image bearers and so much of our lives are designed to point back to him because he is what matters most 
And I love how Adam and Eve were created to be in relationship with God. They were created to be in relationship with one another community, but they got to walk with God and talk with God mm-hmm. and have a relationship with him. And we see the fall happen in Genesis 3, where God gave them specific instructions and they said, you know, God, they didn't say this, but I'm just, you know, paraphrasing. Like, basically, we know better and we are wiser and we think you're kind of holding out on us. So we're going to go in a different direction. And how many of us do that today? Like, yeah. God, we know what you said, but we think we know better. We are wiser and we're going to kind of go our own way. I mean, that is what we do all of the time. And that choice to say, God, I don't want to do what you have said. I don't trust you. I don't obey you. Like, whatever they were thinking. That is kind of like where this whole story of scripture and coming to the point of the gospel and that that redemption and that, um, you know, that uh, his resurrection and the future hope, that's kind of like what the next many chapters and, and books of scripture point to. You know, you start to have this whole journey like, okay, of people who are struggling and rebelling against God and God saying, you are my people and they, they can't be in relationship with him and you have the law and, you know, all of this. And it starts, it's like, wow. Where is God? And and then you see culminating to this point of Jesus coming back to earth to restore the broken relationship between God and mm-hmm. man, God and, and humans, woman, you know, and we see God coming, sending his only son, Jesus Christ. And the purpose of that is to, you know, tear the curtain, you know, that was in place. They couldn't get to God. And you can go through and read this in scripture, but we're just trying to give you the big, like 10,000 foot view of scripture. And so you see that relationship where we now have the opportunity again to have a personal relationship with Christ through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection. Mm -hmm. We can trust in Christ. And now we aren't with God face to face right now, but we have the opportunity to talk to him in prayer, to have that personal connection, to have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Literally, that's something that was kind of like not Mm -hmm. there throughout the Old Testament. They weren't able to go to God like that. There had to be specific priests and people that went there. And like, what a privilege, what a blessing, but it doesn't stop there. And so it's the whole point of scripture ultimately isn't about us. It's about God. And it's ultimately about having a relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really important as Christians to remember. And something so incredible. I remember when I first learned this, my mind was blown about the depth of intimacy that God Mm -hmm. wants to have with his people that he designed, that he, he built into our very existence actually has to do with our sexual design. And that is something that the world gets so disconnected that I didn't even understand for a long time. You kind of view yourself like, okay, we're females. We have this sex drive. Males have this sex drive. And that's all it is. It's just a drive to drive us towards sexual desire. And then somehow we find fulfillment. Like, no, there's so much more to it than just a sex drive. And you see in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, put them in a marriage covenant, gave them the gift of sexual intimacy, that gift of sexual intimacy was actually... It was telling a story of two things. The first thing is that God was saying, I am a covenant keeping God. I am a God who keeps my promises. And what God is showing us through the marriage relationship, through the union of sexual intimacy, of oneness, of being in a lifelong covenant with the other person, we don't see that picture until Ephesians 5. But what God is saying, and maybe you could even pull up Ephesians 5, what God is saying is that I'm a covenant keeping God. I keep my promises. When I created the institution of marriage, I put you in a covenant, which literally means a promise so strong it cannot be broken. And God was designing marriage 
marriage to not just be a place where two people could have a relationship, could start a family, could have, you know, community and not be alone. It was bigger than that. It was pointing the earthly picture of marriage is pointing to a heavenly reality that in a marriage, we are supposed to be covenant keeping people because marriage reflects a covenant keeping God. And God is saying, I want the earthly picture of marriage to reflect on the character of who I am. And I am a God who keeps my promises. I keep my promises with the Israelites. I keep my covenant with my people. I'm promising that Christ will come back after dying and rising again, conquering death. He will come back and keep his promise to the church and he will restore all things and make all things new. We see that in Revelation. And so marriage is a covenant pointing us to a covenant keeping God who keeps his promises and faithfully loves us. And the way that God faithfully loves us is that he wants to know us intimately. Mm -hmm. Like he's not a distant God like a lot of us might feel or maybe we grew up in church and it felt more religious, more rule-based. There wasn't a relationship, but God is a relational God. He walked with Adam and Eve personally until sin separated that union where they weren't walking face-to-face anymore. God wants to walk in an intimate relationship with us so much so that the very sexual act that's so intimate that a man and a wife have together, it's like the most intimate human act that one can experience, that very word where it talks about that intimacy, that knowing that scripture oftentimes will use even when referencing a man and a wife having sex, it'll use the word, you know, Adam knew his wife and that word knew or knowing literally means yada, which is a word when translated means a deep and intimate knowing. And that same word yada that's translated in talking about a man having, you know, knowing his wife is the same word that God uses in many other passages, a lot of Psalms where he talks about knowing his children, knowing a specific person, not in a sexual way, but in a deep intimate way so most like to the heart of hearts the core like yes you know like you know David cries out like you know and like I want to know you God and I want you to know me like this deep knowing like the vulnerability the honesty just like the realness you know just as sexual intimacy is the deepest physical knowing we can have God is saying that same deep knowing sex is more than just that act it's to remind you that you have a deeper spiritual need and I am the one who can fill it I am the one who wants to know you more than anyone else I'm the one who can satisfy you in no way anyone else can and I long to have that deep knowing relationship with Mm -hmm. you I mean what an awesome God yeah and that's why when you think about sex you think oh well you know it just seems like if you could have the the ultimate sexual experience then you would be really happy but it's like come on people we've seen this like look out into the world there are all sorts of people having sex and you know all the hottest in Hollywood doing who knows what but why why are there why is divorce rampant why are relationships broken you know why why is it never enough why is it never enough And in our book, Girl Defined, we talk about Marilyn Monroe, which is such a tragic story of a woman who really was insanely beautiful, had all worldly success, all men, all money, all sex, all the things. And it still wasn't enough because that that isn't enough for any of us. Having all the things, looking the right way, having sex, like all of that can't be enough to satisfy because ultimately that's not what we were made for. We were made to be in deep relationship with Christ. And we say in our book, Sex, Purity, and the Longings of a Girl's Heart, that you can live without out sex. You really can, but you can't live and thrive without a deep, intimate relationship mm-hmm. with Christ because that's what we were made for. And we see that example in Jesus. You know, he was single his entire life and ultimately came and fulfilled the will of his father, walking a deep, intimate relationship with his father and then fulfilling, which was the greatest purpose mm-hmm. of all time, you know, really redeeming the, you know, people in the world. And so it's, it doesn't matter if you're single or married, we can live out our purpose and you can live out your identity as a daughter of God in any season of mm-hmm. life. 
So zooming forward, we see Ephesians 5 talks about marriage. It talks about this mystery. Like, what is this mystery of a man and a woman that God put together in Genesis? Like, why does that really matter? And we see this, I like this picture of marriage being a like something more, which we've already talked about, but biblically they didn't understand this until the New Testament. It was like this big revelation, like Paul saying, whoa, it's yeah. mis- marriage has been a mystery, but this is what marriage actually points to. So if you look at Ephesians 5, um, starting in verse 22, in this matters, you see gender so specific in here. You, it's yeah. not just vague and fuzzy. Like we see womanhood and manhood mm-hmm. so specific. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body and is himself its savior. Look and see as I'm reading how much this is about Christ and how much this reflects Christ in the gospel. Verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here we go. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Mm-hmm. So some hot hot topics right there, hot button words. I know that can get some of you feeling like, oh, like instantly, like, you know, the porcupine. My husband calls it like the porcupines come out of me if I'm like, oh, I don't like something. I know you might be feeling that. Um, there is a lot of misinformation out there on what this passage is actually talking about, like what it means when it talks about submission. We don't have time to get all of that into all of that here, um, but that is an important thing. And there there have been a lot of ways that submission has been abused, has been Absolutely. misused, has been taught in religious organizations that is not in line with God's heart for women. Um, God does not condone any sort of abuse, husbands ruling and reigning over their wives in a strong authoritarian manner where there's no grace, there's no love. Like that's not the picture that we see here. We what s- we see here. Yeah. It's like literally words like nourishes, mm-hmm. cherishes, like giving up one's life. Like that's the husband's role. Like, I don't know why we, I feel like so often we talk about the woman's role, but it's like the man's role. There's so much like of God calling him to like so much sacrifice, that. so much sacrifice and love. It's not just like, oh, I am the powerful ruler. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. Like the opposite really yeah and I think the problem though for us as women sometimes we get like angry about certain things because one we don't really understand God's heart yeah. behind it um two maybe we've experienced hurt and pain and so this feels like it's it's gonna like bring up more hurt and pain but God redeems that God wants to restore offer redemption and when we understand God's word rightly and really dig into understanding biblically what was God's heart what was he getting after we realize it's less about us and like me in this yeah. passage and more about the gospel more about God saying there is a picture that I am trying to paint through a healthy marriage relationship between a man and a woman who genuinely love each other, the way that they interact with each other in that marriage relationship, in love, in grace, in forgiveness, walking humbly because there's sin. We forgive each other. We walk forward the way the woman loves the man, the man loves the woman. Like there is a picture here that God is trying to paint and he 
he's saying, ultimately, it's a picture of Christ and the church, how the church is called to respond to Christ, how Christ leads and loves and sacrifices for the church. It's a bigger picture than just marriage. And so it is really important, whether you're single or married, to understand this rightly, because if we don't understand this rightly and we don't like it, then we might not understand God rightly. We might not understand Jesus rightly. We might not understand the role of the church and its role to God and why it's important, why even in the church like structure, why God has specific roles for male and female. And it's not that God hates women or doesn't want women to serve in certain capacities, but it's because it's pointing to a bigger picture of the gospel. And it's not ultimately about us, but our gender is speaking to something bigger. And God loves both genders equally, created us in his image equally. We're equally different. I mean, equally valuable, but we are purposely different. We're complementary and our gender, our roles, our distinctions are pointing to the gospel because God is trying to tell a story. And so in culture, when we say that doesn't matter, that's insignificant, and we rewrite the rules, we rewrite the story, we're actually rewriting the gospel, even as Christians, if we do that and we're not understanding it. So my encouragement to you would be, if you find this hard, prickly, if you don't like it, if you've experienced things that make this hard for you to hear, then I would really encourage you. We have some really great um, blog posts actually that we wrote a while ago on girldefined.com specifically on submission, where we dig into what it is, what it isn't, unpacking it from a biblical perspective. And then I know ministries like Revive Our Hearts, they have some incredible podcast episodes that talk about this. Um, So I encourage you to dig into biblical resources because understanding marriage and the picture that it paints to you will help us gain a clearer understanding of the gospel, Mm -hmm. which ultimately then points to the end revelation and what the marriage, what marriage ultimately reflects. Yeah. And when you look at revelation and it's kind of crazy and hard to understand, but it's like, where are we going? What's going to happen? You know, like one day, all those who have trusted in Christ as their personal savior and accepted Jesus' death and resurrection, conquering death and sin, one day we will get to be face to face with God, with Jesus, that intimate relationship with him that we were made mm-hmm. to have. Like it talks about in scripture, like, you know, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. I mean, that's what all of us, I think, deeply are craving. Yeah. We want that fullness of life. We want those pleasures forevermore, just like that deep, deep knowing, that deep satisfaction. And that's what we read in scripture that ultimately is to come one day. Like no more of this crazy chaos and confusion. And really, you know, when when we're struggling with our identity, it's like, ah, oh, that, 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 like what is going on? One day we're going to be with God and we're going to go, wow, like this is what, this is what I was mm-hmm. made for. Literally, this is what I was made for. So that's where we're going as image bearers of God. But let's get down to some nitty gritty here. I feel mm-hmm. like we need to answer some questions. If what is a woman doesn't just mean an adult human female, what are some of the things you would say that scripture says yeah. it needs to be a woman? Well, God's word isn't silent on this. And I think sometimes we're scared to talk about specifics because we feel like, okay, well, are we just going to create another box that we put women into? No, we're not going to create another box, another little you know, cultural movement like this is womanhood. We want to know what does God say? Like we know from what we've already talked about that he did create a man and a woman, a male, female. Yeah. So they we are, see gender. We see gender. We see distinctions. We see the purpose for marriage pointing to the gospel. We see sex as being a celebration of marriage in a covenant that is the safe healthy beautiful place that God created sex to thrive we see sex also points to a deeper longing that we have which is to be intimately known by someone and 
that person that can only satisfy us is Jesus Christ himself. Relationship with God, that's where we find satisfaction. But how do we live out our identity mm-hmm. as a woman of God? Because that is where I think we come under attack yeah. in culture, in our own minds of like, who am I? What's going to make me happy? What's going to make me satisfied? So it is really important that as we have this foundation of from Genesis to Revelation, understanding some of these foundational things that we also understand that when we become a Christian, when we become a believer and we say, I am following Christ, I am a Christ follower, that is my identity. So therefore I become a daughter of God, which means I am no longer identifying by the things of the world, by the things of culture, by these trends and by these movements, by the confusion of my own heart. I am going to gain, gain clarity by looking to God's word and saying, God, who do you say I am and how do you call me to walk? Yeah. And that is the identity that God mm-hmm. wants us to walk in. Mm-hmm. And he gets specific in scripture about yes, it. Yes, he does. But you have to have that foundation. You have to know, I am an image bearer of Christ. Mm-hmm. I am his daughter. And I am here to point to something greater than myself. So without that, you're going to get stuck checking different boxes. But God yeah. does. He has a lot to say about men and women. And he has a lot to say about the specific, unique ways that he's created us. Like Kristen said, we're equally valuable, but purposely different. So as a woman, what does God say for me? And there are a bunch of different Mm -hmm. passages. We're just going to fly through a few. I don't know how much you want to read of each one. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I mean, so basically the two passages that we see in scripture, the two key sections that get down to more specifics of God's heart for what does he want Christian women to walk toward? What does he value for Christian women? What are the things that we should value? Because what God values is what we should value. We see those in two places in Proverbs 31 and in Titus 2, yeah. where we act, where God actually gives specific instructions to women saying, this is what a godly woman looks like. This is, she's not perfect, but she cares about these things. She is striving after these things. She values these things. Whether she's married or single, these are the things that she upholds and says, this is God's heart. This is what he cares about for me as a woman. And then throughout all of scripture, there are many other ways that God calls his children to walk in that are relevant for men and women. One example would be sexual purity, right? Like having a right understanding of sex being designed as a celebration of covenant for marriage. And then as a single person and married person saying, God, help me to glorify you in the way I live out my sexuality the way I express my sexual desires, the way I find satisfaction, is it within the plan that you created? So there are a lot of passages that are relevant for men and women for God's children to walk in, but these are some that are specific to women. So it's important that we tune in and say, okay, God, where's your heart? What do you care Mm -hmm. about? So if we look in Proverbs 31 and we start um, with just one of the things that God says, and these aren't in a specific order and they're kind yeah. of all over the place. So I'm going to go back and forth, but this really speaks to the heart of the woman of God. And so Proverbs 31 30 says that she fears the mm-hmm. Lord. And so that's speaking to like the inner person. She is a woman who fears the Lord above all else. She looks to God and says, God, I want to live for you. I want to do your will. Like that is the character of who she is. I'll read through some of the Proverbs mm-hmm. ones and then you can maybe grab some of the Titus ones. <laughs> Proverbs 31, 26 says she speaks words of wisdom. She is a woman who cares about not only what comes into her mind, but also what she outpours. So you know when you're around her, she's going to be a wise woman. Proverbs 31, 20 says she welcomes hospitality. She is a woman who seeks to make others feel welcomed, to make them feel, you know, come into her home or create an atmosphere, whether even for singles, like it's at a coffee shop or in the community that they're in. She is hospitable and helping Mm -hmm. people around them feel like, yes, I want you here and I want to get to know you. Proverbs 31, 26 says, 
she teaches with kindness. That's a convicting one. I want to be a woman who teaches with kindness. Proverbs 31, 27 says she takes great care of her home and family. Another thing that matters greatly. And then Proverbs 31, 11 through 12, she loves and respects her husband, which also ties into Ephesians 5, which we just read. You see these things matter. And these, in this Proverbs and in this, um, this, book Titus, these are things that God is calling women to, that he is saying these are good things for women to pursue and to live out. Yeah, this is what I value. Did you already say that this comes from one of the chapters in Girl Defined? No, I didn't. We basically, so in chapter, let me see, chapter 10, it's titled Hardworking Women Doing It Right, where we really try to take a look at scripture to say, okay, the world has a lot to say about women and work and what success is, where a woman finds her identity, what she values, what she pursues. And, you know, what, but what does God actually say about what it means to be a woman who fears him, who loves him? What is God-defined success, you know, for lack of a better term, like what does it mean to be a woman who understands God's heart? And so we kind of, we looked at Proverbs, looked at Titus and pulled these things that we're reading. These lists are in our words, but the but it's pulled from the verses that you're reading. That's where we get this stuff from. So I want to just read the verses in Titus because they're really short from Titus 2. Many of you know this, but what I find so interesting is Titus 1, it really gets into the qualifications for elders in a church. So the qualifications for pastors, elders, basically the men who are going to be teaching um, and even some of you are like, wait, only men. Well, yeah, I mean, it's true. Like in scripture, God has reserved that specific role of the pastor, the the person leading and shepherding that humongous responsibility. He has assigned that role and that responsibility to men. And I know that's something that some of you might feel like, oh, I don't agree. I don't understand. Like all, remember, gender and the roles ultimately point back to the gospel, Christ and the church. Us. It's not about us. It's about the church, about marriage, reflecting on Christ and the church and that relationship that God is trying to point us back to, to say that's what these things are a reflection of it's not about you ultimately pursuing your dream or what you think you want or your giftings like God has ways we can all serve in the body or we can all serve in the church but he has specific roles designed for a reason to point back to that greater picture of the gospel and it's not lesser and greater and all this stuff we've created all these like this is what's better like I want that Um, I heard someone say today like a a pastor he was saying like I don't have a uterus I can't have a a, you know a baby and it's not like man you know Mm. women are so much better or men are, you know, it's like, no, those are different things. Like he, you know, he can celebrate the fact that God created women in that way. It's like, we don't need to fight for each other's unique aspects. We can celebrate them and say, how can we live this out in the way that God intended? Right. Cause it's about him glorifying yeah. him, building his kingdom, not about us, but that was a side note, but qualifications for elders. I mean, look at just read through Titus one sometime and you will be like, Whoa, it is serious. And sadly, there is a lot of of really bad leadership. People who are in leadership in churches that are not qualified, they do not, they do not, they can't hold up to these, these like standards that God is saying a pastor of a church should have very high standards in so many ways. And sadly, many men are leading who yeah. should not be leading. So, but what's cool is that all that to say, the, the like qualifications elders, for elders is that they're saying churches should have godly men who are qualified according to God's word, what he says a qualified leader should look like. And then he says in Titus two, because you have these qualified leaders, these men who are godly men who love the church, who are leading biblically, he's saying, teach the church what a 
accords with sound doctrine. Make sure that the men, that the women in your church understand what's at stake here, that the gospel is at stake here in living out their manhood and their womanhood. That is why sound doctrine, true doctrine, biblical doctrine from the word of God matters so much. And so that's why Titus 2 gets into the specifics of basically saying these qualified leaders need to teach the church what it means to be a man and a woman. So there's a few verses about some qualifications, like this is what a a godly man looks like. And then in Titus 2 verses 3 through 4 and 5, it says, this is what God's heart is for women. And this is so interesting. Here's what God says. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So we see some specifics. We see some um, specific ways that God wants us as women to live in our homes and our families. I know there's things specifically for married women here, but at the end of the day, what does this, this section end with? So that the word of God, mm. may, God may not be reviled, so that the gospel may not be reviled, that when the world looks on at marriage, when the world looks on at the church, when the world looks on how men and women live in marriage and just relationships together that the world goes, what is going on? Like there's a lot of harmony that looks healthy, uh, sinners, but repentant and humble, like distinctions, like male yeah. and female, but complementary roles. Like what is this? And ultimately the, the world looks on and says it, they go, that is, that is amazing. Like, what is that? And it's ultimately pointing back to the gospel so that the word of God mm. may not be reviled so that the way we live is a true picture of the gospel mm. and the world sees consistency there. I just want to read this bit from Girl Defined. Um, we say, God didn't create us and then leave us stranded without directions. He didn't intend for us to follow the celebrities or you know the latest scholars in hopes of finding answers. He has a ton to say in the Bible. If we are willing to study it, read it, and apply it to our lives, we can have the purpose, hope, and direction and satisfaction that we as women long for. Although every woman's life will look uniquely different, mm-hmm. the principles found in these verses, a lot of those that we just referenced, should be the foundation of which every woman builds her life. This is really a roadmap. This is God has given us direction. He hasn't been vague. This is our guide. And I'm just going to fly through these really quickly again, because I know you're like, wait, what, 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 what did I just hear? So really quickly, what does God say that he values and the directions that he gives for women? She fears the Lord. She speaks words of wisdom. She welcomes hospitality. She teaches with kindness. She takes great care of her home and family. She loves and respects her husband. She loves her children. She's not lazy or idle with her time. She works really hard morning until night. She's respectful in her behavior. She mentors younger women. She's self-controlled in her words and actions. She pursues purity in every area of her life. Wow. God has Woo! really a lot to say about womanhood. Okay. You're going to need to slow down I know. and rewind to hear those again. <laughs> These verses make it clear that God defines success isn't measured by how much money we make, how many degrees we've earned, how prestigious our career, or how big we've grown our ministry, how many kids we've had or not had, how large our house, how fancy our car. God's standard for success is based on the condition of our hearts. He's looking women who share his vision for womanhood, value the things he's values, and pursue the things he loves. So we have that foundation of knowing I'm an image bearer of God. I've been saved mm-hmm. by God. There grace. There's nothing that I can do to earn any worth, anything before God. He has given me worth. That's how I have worth. That's how I have value. That's truly how I have identity as his daughter. But then we go, how does he want me to live? I have this life. Like he put us here for a reason, for a purpose. How should I live uniquely as a woman? And then he gives us all of these things that really speak to the condition of the heart, less 
yeah. of like check all these boxes but this is the kind of woman the character and I love Proverbs where it ends with charm is deceitful and beauty is fleeting but a woman who fears mm. the Lord is to be praised so at the end of the day a woman a a woman who is, you know, held up as like the standard of womanhood, a woman who fears the Lord, that is a woman to be praised. Do we see that being upheld in culture at all? Absolutely not. A woman who fears the Lord in our culture is like a woman to be mocked, you know? Absolutely. But truly, She's a considered woman, a weak and wimpy yeah, woman. God says a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so we as women say, yes, biologically, I am, you know, gender, female, adult, human, ma- female. Yes, absolutely to all of that. But then we go more than that. And we say, wow, why am I here? What is my purpose? Um, ultimately, we are also called for the Great Commission to share the gospel, to be about Christ. And it's just like you kept emphasizing mm-hmm. over and over again. It's not about us. It's not it's about us. It's about Christ. At the end of the day, that is the most important thing about yes. us. And every season and stage of life, we can live out God's design for womanhood. In singleness, the calling remains the same. The specific ways that we live out our, out our womanhood might look different, right? If you're not married, you can't love and respect your husband. <laughs> you don't have one, right? Or like the way that you care for your children and your home, that might look different if you're in college or you're younger, you're in high school. But the things that are across the board that do not matter our age, stage, yeah. or season are the things that we've talked about, that our identity is really rooted in knowing that we were made for a deep and intimate relationship with our Savior. That our, that relationship was broken because of sin, but Jesus came to this earth, died on the cross, took our punishment, and because of Him, we can walk in that intimate relationship with Him. We yeah. can be forgiven from our sins. And then we know that because we are walking in relationship with God, our purpose is to glorify God. And that can be in every stage and season of life, in everything we do, whether we're in school, whether we're married, whether we're taking care of little kids, whether we're caring for older grandparents, whether we're dating, whatever we're doing, yeah. our purpose remains the same, to glorify God in every, the nitty gritty, the big, the hard, the the glorious, the behind the scenes, like everything, our purpose yeah. remains the same to glorify God. And then our commission, what we're called to go do remains the same too. The great commission, we're called to make disciples, to then say, okay, I don't yeah. care, like I'm 16, I'm 30, I'm 50, I am called to be a Titus 2 woman, a woman who pours into younger women, a woman who says, how can I make disciples? How can I bear spiritual fruit? in the lives of other women. So looking for women that you can mentor, that you can encourage, finding a godly woman who can mentor you, carrying on that Titus 2 call, and then that Matthew, that great, the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. So sharing the gospel, spreading the good news of Christ. Those are three foundational things that we all as women need to be rooted in our identity, regardless mm-hmm. of our age or season. And then we look at Proverbs, we look at Titus to find specifics of what is God's heart for women and how can I live out mm-hmm. his heart in my specific Mm -hmm. season. And if you're like, I just need a little bit of help. I need something that I could get right now to kind of help me dig deeper into this. And this sounds hard. You might be thinking like, wow, this is so countercultural. Like, I don't know if I have enough courage for this. We actually created a digital product that you can download right now. Just go to girldefined.com slash shop. We have a whole library of digital resources. And this one is called Seven Habits of a Strong Christian Woman, a guide to help you live a bold and courageous life for God. Because we know this is hard, but ultimately Mm -hmm. it's not through our own strength. It's through Christ's strength. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And so this is going to help you really dig into the word, really help you understand what does it look like to live that bold and courageous life for Christ. If you need some encouragement, you need mm-hmm. some help, just go to girldefined.com slash shop. Um, we'll also link it below, go to the, to the digital resources. And I think this will be a huge encouragement yeah. to you. Y'all, this was a big conversation. A <laughs> we cut from Genesis to Revelation and we covered so much about sexuality, gender, womanhood, identity, purpose. Like, woo, we know that it was a lot to process. And if you need to listen to the episode,
episode again to like really dig in. I encourage you to do that. I really encourage you, we both do, on your own to read Genesis 1 and 2, to read Ephesians 5, to read Proverbs 31, to read Titus 2. Take time to dig into these passages for yourself. If you're like, I haven't really been in the word. Um, I don't really know what to do. Use the next week. Just one day at a time, take one of those chapters. Genesis 1, the next day, Genesis 2. Get a journal and just write down, what am I seeing about what God is doing here? Who is he? Who am I? What am I learning? How can I apply this to my life? And how have I not been um, walking in these truths? How have I not been understanding this? And Lord, change my heart. This would be the perfect Bible study plan. The next week, you've got it. Go for it. Dig in on your own because it's so important that you're not just hearing it from us, but you're actually getting into God's word for yourself Mm. so that you can understand who he is, what he's created, and how he's calling you to live. And then after you do that, or in the meantime, come hang out with us over on Instagram at Girl Defined, where we would love to chat with you about this conversation. You can DM us with your questions um, and you know, email us. We would love to continue talking with you about this incredibly mm-hmm. important topic. And then if you appreciated this episode and you're like, I want to give them a five-star review because that was awesome, we would appreciate that. And you can do that at uh, like Apple, Spotify. You can leave a five-star review you and that encourages us a ton. We see your reviews. It also helps other women find the podcast. So take like 30 seconds, drop a five-star review, leave a comment. We love to hear from you and then join us next Monday for another episode of the Girl Defined Show.